Greetings, SE land. Here I am. This is Twig, Twig's SE Reflections, episode number 37. I'm going to close the Choice Point conversation, little mini-series on Choice Points today, this episode. going to look at, hmm, secret. Not going to just say just yet, but do want to just briefly look back. What did we look at, huh? We, we said that Choice Points are these places where, you know, they don't necessarily lead to a point of no return, but they lead to what's going to happen next. And hopefully the clinician has some influence, some say on which path we choose at these choice points. You know, person's, hmm, who knows, a client's um, activation is coming up and the practitioner says, hey, you know, that's just going to be too much. Hopefully there's a choice point real close in there that helps to redirect the attention towards something that is less activating. And hopefully the practitioner, you, me, we are available to help steer that attention in a more clinically helpful direction. Yeah, so uh, within there, there's classic classic places in, in our sessions. Just really, some of them are completely unique and very prototypical for SE sessions. Whether we allow freeze to happen or not, whether we encourage a person to stay inside with their attention tracking more or do that on an intermittent basis, whether or not the orientation, the ability to pay attention to things outside of oneself is available or not, what to do with that, whether or not a person is sufficiently observing their experience before we just hand it over to them and say, hey, why don't you go ahead and feel your experience, pay attention to your experience, and we'll just let it do its thing and see what happens next. Before we just hand over that open attention, we might want to have some sense that they're actually going to continue to pay attention to that thing and watch it unfold. Those are just a few of the classic choice points. Inside of sessions, there are hundreds of tiny little choice points person gives you oh you know um i feel some tension in my chest oh, okay feel some tension in your chest and what else do you notice well i feel my I feel my hands resting on the on the armrest okay it's a kind of banal example but there's a choice point and which one would you choose which one do you want to know more about the tension in their chest or their arms and how they could feel their arms resting on the armrest Hmm. It'd make a choice. It'd be your choice. Which one are you going to reflect back? Which one are you going to ask about? Which one are you going to bring the attention toward next? Choice points. So today's, before getting into it, I kind of want to take a small titration to something that may or may not happen here on Twigs Reflections, as this is a pretty time-limited project, and I'm doing my very best not to have it be commercial in any way. I think maybe, hopefully, some of you have noticed that really trying to avoid the commercial element that goes along with podcasts usually. In any case, I am excited to kind of mention a, what could sound like a commercial because I got, you know, as a lot of us in the SE world, we get these emails of interesting and exciting things that are coming up. And one for me that is particularly interesting is coming up on May 29th. It's with a friend of mine. His name is Brad Kammer. He lives out in California. He's an MFT and SEP and works in different kinds of settings and does a lot of teaching, oftentimes on interpersonal neurobiology and like how we relate to one another, particularly in sessions and in relationships and such. 
Well, he's, he's offering these live online introductions to somatic experiencing through SETI, Somatic Experiencing Trauma Institute. And the f one of them, I think maybe he's done a few, one of them is coming up on May 29th. And the reason I'm excited about this is because don't you think more people need to know about this stuff? I mean, I think that. I think that just through and through. From the very first moment I came into contact with SE, and I don't mean to be an evangelist, although I guess perhaps I am an advocate, I, I have just always been convinced more people need to know about this. I needed to know about this sooner. My mom needed to know about this. We, we need more people to know about this. And so I'm keen on introductions, and I'm really keen on people that I'm super fond of, like my good friend Brad, who's going to be doing this introduction online, and it makes it so more people can get access to this information without having to be in a random place. I used to travel all over giving introductions. I'd land, I'd get a rental car, I'd get a hotel, I'd have set up all these venues. One time I did eight inside of five days in Arizona. I was like on a little tour. It was brutal. And if I could have done it online and talked to a bunch of people around the world, well, you know, that would have been a major step for me, considering how long it's taken me to get on the internet. But it certainly feels appealing, and and I'm super encouraging of Brad. So I don't know what what would you do if you knew somebody? You'd you'd say, hey, there's there's another way to get in touch about and get information about SE new introduction pattern, and uh, they're doing these online introductions, and maybe send people over to register at one three zero three. Six five two four zero three five, or press this link, which I'm kind of assuming could get you to the SETI website and look for introductions. Anyway, there's a little plug for something that I care a lot about. Today's choice point, when to go to sleep. You know, inside of our sessions, we have all of these choice points. We try to look at a little of those here in the reflections. And, and if I can say, if you spend some time with Peter, Peter Levine, Oh, you know, somebody somebody get a burning question to him about choice points, his perspectives on choice points, how he thinks about them, how he feels about them, how he looks for them and and what they tell him and and such. You know, don't don't try to get necessarily a specific one if you can, try to get him to just talk generally about his impressions and and when he members first thinking in those kinds of terms because he's actually a wonderful storyteller and he'll kind of just blow your mind in terms of helping you see that you're trying to be able to read lots of different channels and people's appearance, behavior, physiology, expression all at once, trying to get enough channels that tell you the same thing to tell you where you are and then once you get enough prediction and enough experience you can look into the future and say I'm at a choice point. I need to lean the attention in this or that direction so that we keep going in some kind of beneficial way here. Check that out. And outside of session, there are countless choice points. It's, it's, it's just kind of the way it is, right? Like life, there are choices. You decide that you're going to eat. A few minutes later, your blood sugar is calm and you're having a sane, intelligent conversation. You get to that choice point, you decide you're not going to eat. A couple minutes later, your blood sugar's out of whack, you're peevish, you're not in right relationship with yourself and with others, and it makes a difference. And from there, 
there's a new choice point, catch up and eat real fast and try to get something in here to stabilize things or not and help the situation just unravel more. These are choice points. One choice point that a lot of our clients deal with, and even, of course, some of us, is what time, when to go to bed. You know, typically in our society, in our world, we, we judge those kind of things based on a clock, which is a really funny way to do things if you think about how the clock isn't so old and our biology is working on millions and millions and millions of years of influence and information about how to relate to itself in terms of its own internal dynamics and in relationship to the amount of activity that it's done, as well as the seasons and the amount of light going on around us. Of course, in cities today, we have a whole lot of light, helps keep us up. Pituitary gland gets all that serotonin going from that light, and it makes it really hard for the melatonin process to come in and help us say, oh, I'm tired and it's time to go to sleep now. And so a lot of us look for like, when do I go to sleep? Okay, most common answer, 10 p.m., 11 p.m., 2 a.m. in the morning, some time. We choose a time, of course, because we're looking for that seven to nine hours that would make some intelligent sleep. I think in human ecology research, they have some pretty good statistics that say that the average person would sleep 10.2 hours per night if we were completely unfettered and could spend as much time sleeping as we want. Actually, that's 10.2 hours inside of a 24-hour cycle, which would include naps and the fact that most people don't sleep entirely through the night. They wake up, they do something, they go back to sleep. Okay, when should you and I go to sleep? When should our clients go to sleep? Well, this is a, a really potent conversation with people. In fact, choice point conversations with people are potent anyway because you can hear the comment, oh, this always happens. Oh, it's always this way. And you start looking in for there. Where are the choice points that a person could make, choose a different direction? You know, there's less activation in the sequence. It's easier to choose a different direction inside of a smoking sequence. Oh, I wake up, I'm finally smoking. Where earlier in that sequence of grabbing the carton of cigarettes, walking outside, lighting up, taking a puff, where in that sequence was another behavior, another route out of that pattern available? Where, What was the choice point? Maybe not having the cigarettes at home in the first place. Maybe it's an option. Maybe it's not. Here I am. I'm going towards sleep. Maybe you, maybe me, somebody is going towards sleep. It's 7 p.m. at night. We get this tiny little, we're not going towards sleep. We're going into the evening. And we get this tiny little hit that says, Oh, I'm just a little bit fatigued here. And we look over at that clock. We see it's only 7 p.m. And we think to ourselves, oh, that's too early to go to sleep. I'm not going to go to bed now. I'm, you know, bedtime's not till 10. And so we, we kind of hold or ride or push through or pass that slight dip in our feeling state that would say, oh, I'm a little tired. And we get a third, fourth, fifth round of energy, you know. So now it's 8 o'clock, it's 9 o'clock, and now it's 9.30. And maybe we get like a tiny little another hit suggestion that says, oh, I'm kind of getting that, oh, I'm tired kind of signal. And it's another choice point. Do I follow that internal signal that tells me the truth is 7 p.m., 9.30 p.m., 11.30 p.m., who knows, probably in two-hour cycles, but who knows. We get these little hits that say, oh, I'm kind of 
tired right now. Oh, I got I got to finish these papers and I I got to get back to work and and we wake ourselves back up until perhaps we hope to crawl into bed at our prescribed hour 10 11 2 and what we're going to close our eyes and suddenly fall asleep. Maybe you know, I mean if 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 we're completely on empty and we just push ourselves up until the hour that we're falling asleep every single night, then it's true we can close our eyes and we can just kind of fall away. And then others of us are just lucky in that way. We're hypothyroid on some level or just generally found it easy to fall asleep. We can close our eyes and just, oh, you know, 9 p.m., I'm in bed, I'm going to sleep. For those with disturbed sleep, with people who, you know, sleep doesn't come easy and it's dynamic and it's always shifting, there's a, actually, there's a number of protocols out there that will help us to make sure we sleep on a schedule. And with that one, most importantly, perhaps, is to wake up on a schedule, wake up every day at the same time, so that the amount of awakeness that the body can do becomes apparent and we start going to sleep at a certain more regulated time. As compared to, oh, I didn't get to sleep until 2, I'm going to stay in bed until 10. The next night, it's hard to go to sleep at an earlier hour because you actually slept until 10. So when establishing that regulated sleep pattern, I think the normal, most common protocol is to make sure that the getting up hour is the same. Take that aside. The body, us, our bodies, are always and still, even when they're really disorganized, signaling how much energy we have, how little energy we have. When we're awake, uh, the little tired signal that's trying to tell us to go to sleep. Now, whether we listen to it, whether we hear that choice point, whether we, we make a choice, whether we can make a choice that helps us to say, oh, this is my time to go down. Oh, this is the first hint of being tired. This is the one I should take. Um, that's something to say. That 7 p.m. hit for the really tired person might be easier to get to sleep to. Of course, now there's potential dangers. I'm going to wake up at 1 a.m. and not be able to get back to sleep again. But in order to read this, which I'm slowly working my way towards saying, to be able to grab the choice point of what our own organic intelligence is trying to tell us when our body is signaling, I am trying to go to sleep now, to be able to see that for a valuable comment of, oh, I wonder if I could actually turn my attention right now with my body and make things so that I could follow along with this choice point of going to sleep. It's a curious thing because it, you know, it makes you wonder if you wouldn't actually at that point, even if you did wake up five hours later, two hours later, if you wouldn't at least for that amount of time have not have avoided fighting the impulse and instead riding what is one of the most natural impulses, which is the, oh, turning toward going horizontal signal. One thing that you can find in these conversations with people around their sleep choice point is that if they finally discover that there's an earlier signal in the evening, they're a little tired and they miss that one because they've got other things to do. It's too early, whatever. When they get to the next choice point, the next signal that says, oh, now I'm tired too, there's an increased likelihood that 
and this is just a projection, but there's an increased likelihood that they'll avoid that one too because they already avoided the first one. The pattern is now set up for ignoring the internal signal of wanting to go to sleep, not for helping me get to sleep. It's actually avoiding what's actually trying to happen inside my body. And the more we do that, the harder it is to turn and change that perspective and say, oh, I'll just go ahead and listen to what my body's saying now, now that it's 11 p.m. It's cool if it happens. And for those of us with disturbed sleep, I, I don't really have this so much, but anymore, I don't have this anymore. Oh, I will have it again. And I have certainly had it before. Where you miss that choice point at 7, 8 p.m. You miss it again at 10 it's 1 a.m. and the signal that comes in to tell you that you're tired is either super brutal or almost impossible to catch. And it's more like you just end up in a languid kind of state and you don't ever get the real hit. I am now changing from being awake to going to sleep. Instead, you're just sitting there watching midnight infomercials or surfing the web or reading, or cleaning the pantry. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what people are doing at that time. Yet I can see that when we miss the initial signals that say this is trying to happen, and we ignore those for a later time, part of what we start doing is ignoring those signals that say my body's trying to tell me something that needs to happen. It can take a bit of discipline or courage to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to structure things in such a way, and it also takes the socioeconomic condition that allows this to happen. But once we get somewhere in that safety zone that says, hey, I can choose a bit more of my behavior, it might be worth, and sometimes it's worth encouraging our clients, to have a conversation of, I wonder if we could just pay attention to what times or when what's happening when you get these signals that say, I'm tired. And let's wonder in there, when you get those signals, if it might not be an opportunity to take that choice point and rather than thwart it, to actually give your body the opportunity to follow it. And I wonder if we might not be able to actually join with what your body's already trying to do in order to help you get more of what you already want, in this case, more sleep. Of course, it's not a solution for everybody with heavy sleep problems. There's a lot going on with that. But it is a place for us to have a kind of a dialogue here about how in real life, in our normal lives, in our clients' normal lives, there are countless choice points, one path of which takes us to more stress and less allowance of our organism, and the other one perhaps sometimes take us to exactly where it is we want to go. Choice points. That was a little mini-series on choice points. What else can be said about that? Well, maybe it's possible for us, you and I, a bunch of us, maybe a whole bunch of folks, SE practitioners, students, we could create like a living document, you know, something that collects a bunch of these from our sessions. You know, we'd, we'd come up with a name, each one. We'd, we'd say, hey, these are the things you're going to see at this choice point. What just became before, what's likely to happen afterwards, what those things tell you about which choice you want to take based on what you've already been seeing, we could share it. Get up, get up. You and me. Get up, get up. Somehow. 